Psalm 142, verse 5. I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would impress these words of your truth upon our hearts and souls and minds. Heal us where we need to be healed. Encourage us, I pray, where we are discouraged. Lift our spirits, I pray, not only for our own health and strength, but also for your worship and your glory, that something of your name uh, would ascend from this earth towards heaven in thankfulness and worship, we pray. For Christ's sake, amen. Verse 7 of the verses that I read says, Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. I'm going to use those few half dozen or so words this morning to preach an entire sermon in good old-fashioned Puritan form. Just mine one little phrase from the scripture and preach a sermon from it. David is, of course, speaking of physical incarceration when he says, bring me out of prison that I might give thanks to your name. And I do not want to be unmindful of the the fact that there are Christians always since Pentecost and even today that suffer the kind of physical and bodily incarceration and oppression from being locked up. But I'm going to speak of a different kind of imprisonment today that I believe David also knew of when he says earlier in the psalm, I have been brought very low. So I'm not going to speak of physical incarceration, but rather an incarceration of the soul. Bring me out of prison, O Lord, that I might give thanks to your name. Sometimes people say, why don't preachers talk about the things that we actually deal with? And so, I'm going to address very plainly, without pretending that Christians don't suffer from these kinds of things, and in a simple and practical way, deal with a common reality amongst God's people. And it is the kind of encouragement, not the physical oppression, but the kind of oppression that can come across our emotions and our our minds and our souls, that come from the everyday, normal circumstances of life, right? Now, I don't want you to leave depressed today, okay? It's one of the, one of the risks, one of the challenges of, of, of preaching a sermon on this subject. I don't, I don't want to draw attention to something in order that we, would, that we would stay there. The whole point is, as I say, just deal honestly and directly with a subject that says, let's not pretend that this isn't something that we deal with constantly, if not in our own life, in the lives of people in our home, in our family, and in our community. When I say addressing something that is normal, I use that word intentionally 
Because there are some who feel shame when they go through times of discouragement and they wonder, should Christians really feel this way? There are also Christians who feel a tremendous amount of self-pity, <laughs> saying, how come I'm the only one that feels this way? And I want to lift the shame and I want to lift the self-pity as well and address it as something that is common to men and to women. Bring me out of prison that I might give thanks to your name. I've gone through a Christmas season. I hope you've had a wonderful season of, of traditions and of family and of food. But there are also times, aren't they, when, they, when we become mindful of the things that are most discouraging for us. Sometimes there's loneliness. Sometimes there's grief. Sometimes there's guilt. Sometimes there's fear of the things that are ahead. Sometimes there's a sense of, of not wanting to face what, what comes ahead. Sometimes there is stress. And so this is my simple point this morning that I would like all of you to take home with you from this simple text that says, bring me out of prison that I might give thanks to your name. That there are many different circumstances in life that can imprison even the Christian's soul for which we need God's help and deliverance. I have three simple points, and this is what they are. First of all, bring me out of prison that I might give thanks to your name calls for a Christian life that is persevering. I'm going to talk about perseverance this morning. Secondly, bring me out of prison that I might give thanks to your name calls for a Christian character that is merciful. And finally, thirdly, Bring me out of prison that I might give thanks to your name calls for a Christian faith that is experiential. Okay? You follow me? Three simple points. First of all, perseverance. Bring me out of prison that I might give thanks to your name. This is a prayer that speaks of our continuance in God alone and our need to persevere and to overcome. I find sometimes that it comes as a shock to people that they face circumstances in life in which they are forced with this question, am I going to persevere? Am I, am I going to overcome? Now, it, it's just something about human capacity. I, I don't, I'm not sure what it is, but we humans have this capacity to be shocked at having to do something that we've expected of everybody around us all of our life. And when it comes to us having to do it, though, we're shocked. And so the subject of perseverance comes into some Christian's life as a little bit of a shock. Let me define what I mean by the word perseverance. You might define it other ways. This is, this is the way that I understand, what, what I understand perseverance to mean from the scriptures. It means to be self-conscious of the fundamentals of Christian faith every day, on a daily basis. To pray, Lord, give me my daily bread. Give me courage for, for this day. So perseverance isn't some deep esoteric mystery of, of the deeper life for, for Christians who are more mature. Perseverance is simply 
grasping the most simple fundamentals of Christian faith that even a child can understand, but grasping them every day. What are those fundamentals? To be born again. See, the, the soul that would be set free from prison, first of all, that soul needs a new address. That soul needs to understand that, that it has been redeemed from this world and, and now exists and lives in the kingdom of God. To be self-conscious of that on a daily basis is a discipline of Christian faith, and it is called perseverance. That's just one of the fundamentals of, of Christian faith. Also, the gift of God's Spirit to live in us and abide with us. The gift of God's grace, as, as Paul says in, in Romans, stand firm, therefore, in the grace that has been given to you. To be aware that we have an enemy in this world is just the fundamental of the Christian perspective and the Christian worldview, but, but to be mindful of it on, on a daily basis, that there is something, there is a, a, a dark presence in this world that would take those same circumstances of life and crush your soul with it. To be mindful of, of those things is helpful and means to, to persevere. Personally, this is how I have come to define perseverance in my own life. I hope it's helpful for you as well. Perseverance is the discipline to always define myself and identify myself with that which is eternal. What defines you? And is that which defines you, is it liable to change? Or is it steadfast forever? A Christian, I find, must guard his and her soul from laying hold of the passing things of this world. Some some of them are, are, are very good things, but they are temporary things nonetheless. Our families, our vocation, our marriage. Marriage isn't forever, right? It's only until death do us part. It too comes to an end. Our health, our bodies, our income. And God would have us to enjoy all of those things as, as His good gifts, but... As God would have us enjoy all those things as his good gifts, as I said before, there is a devil in this world that would have us not just enjoy those good gifts, but would have us define ourselves by them, to cling to them for our identity and our sense of worth and our sense of well-being, and then shipwreck us when they are prone to change. What defines you? What will you let define you? The things that are temporary or the things that are eternal? I've been meditating on these words by an ancient writer by the name of Augustine recently, who said, whoever would become the protector of any sin shall surely become its prisoner.
using that similar vocabulary, I would say this, that whoever would define oneself by anything in this world will surely become its prisoner. Bring me out of prison, O Lord, that I might give thanks to your name. Secondly, a character that is merciful. I hope you're familiar with these words from Psalm 34, verse 18. It says, The Lord is near the brokenhearted. The Lord saves the crushed in spirit. What wonderful words of, of tenderheartedness. Have you ever been discouraged and, and face something just a little bit less than that kind of uh, attitude towards you in your life? The Lord is merciful. And that, that tenderheartedness of God needs replication amongst God's people in our fellowship as brothers and sisters in Christ. To show mercy to one another. You see, <laughs> imprisoned souls don't make the best of friends sometimes. <laughs> they don't make the best of spouses sometimes. You won't find them on Facebook implicitly boasting about how great their day is going. In fact, they can be irritable. They can be impatient. They can be sometimes distant and aloof. Mercy means the ability to not react to the symptoms and love the soul. We need it sometimes all of us. And if, you've, <laughs> if you don't have a clue what I'm talking about this morning, if you're the kind of person who's just every day is sunny regardless of, of how dark it is, and what, what's the saying when life gives you tomatoes, you, you do something with it, I don't know. No, it's lemons, that's what it is. When life gives you lemons, you profit off it or something like that. <laughs> then at least be aware of your need to have mercy. on others who suffer from discouragement. And don't compare yourself. That's cruel. You know, I, I might not be the best Christian, but boy, I'm, I'm sure better than that grumpy person. I might not be the best spouse, but I'm sure a better spouse than, than he is or she is. These are the words of the Apostle Paul when he says to put on. Great words, like, like getting dressed. Put on, put this on. Those of you that are God's chosen ones, you're, you're, those of you that are God's holy and beloved, put this on. Compassion, kindness, humility. These are from Colossians chapter 3. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. You know, in, the, in Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus responds to the sheep who are shocked that they visited him in prison, he says, Lord, when did we visit you in prison? We never saw you in prison. Well, there's more than one kind of prison. In fact, I wonder in, in Revelation chapter 2, when the Lord says, the devil will throw some of you into prison for a time 
but don't despair. The Apostle Paul also makes it plain that the reason that God sometimes brings us through trials in our lives is to discipline us and to teach us. And one of the things that we need to learn from those seasons is how to minister to other people. To make us both sensitive and mindful of of others. Have you ever needed encouragement? I'm sure you have at some point in your life. So then... Be mindful of other people's need for encouragement. I've always found these words from 2 Corinthians 1 very helpful about comforting other people. This is what the Apostle Paul says, 2 Corinthians 1, 3. It says, Blessed be the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy, and the God of all comfort. Wonderful way that Paul addresses God. Who comforts us in all of our affliction. Now listen to what he says. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. So look for the comfort of God in your life and understand that that God is teaching you how to also bring comfort to other people. Be stewards, good stewards, of the comfort that God gives you. Thirdly, a faith that is experiential. What I mean by that is a faith that is not merely theoretical, a faith that is experiential. Bring me out of prison that I might give thanks to your name. It's not magic. I think I say that over and over and over again, but it, it, it's, it's not by simply repeating the right words. But it's the experience of laying hold of God and His truth that that genuinely lifts our head and alters our perspective. Like like David, there's a story in the Old Testament of David when David was discouraged because the Amalekites had captured all of his family. And it says then David was cast down. And then it says this of David, that he encouraged himself in the Lord. This is from Psalm 43. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope thou in God. In other words, David possessed that ability to take what he knew was true about God and experience the truth of it in a way that that lifted his spirits and encouraged him. Do you know how to do that? It's an essential discipline of the Christian soul. Bring me out of prison, O Lord, that I might give thanks to your name. That text identifies something very experiential in God. Imagine the the experience of, of feeling the 
oppression, to feeling the restrictiveness, to, to, to feeling the, the powerlessness of being able to act and do and go where you want, mentally, emotionally, spiritually speaking, and experiencing God delivering you from that. And I know that some people struggle with this until the day they go to glory, but they struggle with it. They do struggle with it. It's a tremendous experience that the text is describing. And sometimes we even come to a place where we thank God for our affliction because it brings us into an experience of God that we would never have known or dreamed imaginable. To know something of the depth of the grace and the power and the mercy of God through difficult circumstances. You know, the image that often comes to my mind is a soul that, 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 that struggles. It is, is, is just restless, like, like somebody uh, gasping for, for air in, in water and just being pinned to the bottom of God's mercy. Sorry if that's too graphic of an image. But spiritually speaking, pinned to the bottom of God's mercy until it's all we can drink. I was trying to comfort somebody on the phone recently, but I couldn't comfort them because they were too busy giving thanks to God for the comfort that they had received from God because of their difficulties. It's a tremendous thing to experience and witness the soul in God finding their strength. And it brings about real thanksgiving. Bring me out of, out of prison that I might give thanks to your name. Do you, do, you, do you see the order of the text? Do you see that there is thanksgiving, but before thanksgiving, there is something profoundly experiential. And yes, it's right to give thanks. Uh, we, we, we know that it's right to give thanks, and, and we often very routinely and dutifully, we give thanks. But, but it's hollow sometimes. And this is the kind of thanksgiving that comes from an experience in God that I might give thanks to your name. It's like Job says in chapter 38, when he says, my ears had heard of you but now my eyes have seen you. And the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, when he says, Lord, take it away. Lord, take it away. Lord, please take it away. And the Lord said, no. And the Apostle Paul came to this glorious understanding that he was finding God's strength in the midst of his weakness. I'm going to read three verses of Scripture to illustrate the importance of an experiential faith. These are randomly chosen. I'm on a subject this morning that could go on forever and ever, and I'm doing my best to try to not just make it a long string of cliches and truisms to, to give you something from God's Word. And so let me give you three scriptures from, from God's word that I would emphasize. These must be experiential. John seven thirty eight says, Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. John chapter 7, verse, verse 38. And of course, it's, it's a reference to the Spirit, the work of the Spirit within us. But, but the reason the Spirit is described as living waters, it's because the Spirit brings us a living God, not a dead God, a living God. And it renews us, just like, like living waters, the knowledge of a living God is renewing day in and day out. And it must be experiential. To buy the power of the Spirit and that divine, supernatural work of God upon our hearts. To have something of the divine in the human soul. And not just a theoretical orthodoxy of what God is like. Being right about what God is like doesn't really help you. Experiencing what God is like is what God intends in the first place when he gives us the knowledge of himself. Psalm 138, verse 2. I give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. That little phrase, you have exalted above all else your name and your word, has been such a, a powerful experience in my own life. To in the midst of, 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 of difficult past, to, for, for, for God to pick up his name and publish it in my own mind as something that is so great and so powerful that it just lifts my soul out of prison. To come across the truth of his word, where, where he exalts his word in the heart and soul of those who look to it and trust in it. it. It's not a dead word. It's a living word. And God exalts it in the hearts and souls of his people to create faith and courage each and every day. These are things that are experiential in the lives of Christians. Finally, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3. Very familiar words to most of you, I'm sure. If you have been raised with Christ, seek to things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. <laughs> wow, have you seen him lately? Set your mind. Notice the reference to the mind. Set your mind on things that are above not on things that are on earth. So such simple, practical words, but so important that they pass from the realm of the theoretical to the realm of the experiential. There are times when it must become experiential to us or we succumb to the tyranny of the horizontal. In conclusion, I, I think you can hopefully see why I, I chose the, a text that I did. It's very easy to get to Christ from this text. And I think that in every service and every time that we open God's word, we need to get to Christ because Christ is the end of God's word. And this is exactly why Christ came. Bring me out of prison that I might give thanks to your name. In whose name? In the name of Christ. Who came? Why? To set prisoners free to free to set us free from the from the tyranny of sin from its ability to curse us from its ability to condemn us yes but don't stay there please understand that that sin 
has the, the power in this fallen world to harass us and to oppress us all of our days, to imprison our souls with discouragement. And Christ came to set prisoners free. I have been thinking on these words in Colossians 2 recently that says this about Christ. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Think about Christ just for a moment as we conclude. In him, in his body, the full wholeness of deity, Paul says, dwells in him. And then this is what the Apostle Paul says in the next phrase. And you have been filled in him. <laughs> See, that's not just a nice Christology of orthodoxy that says, yes, Christ is divine. And Paul immediately turns it and he says, and do you know that all of the fullness of the deity that was in Christ bodily, you have been put into him or he has been put into you. And spending my life, Christian life, Christian thought, trying to grasp this very thing. And I think this is what it means. It means that when I am put into Christ, or when, when he has put into me all the fullness of the deity, it means that in all the circumstances of life, that I experience in Christ a sense of sufficiency for all of the circumstances in which I live and walk. Would you please stand with me? And you'll find in your bulletin a responsive reading. I would like us to close this time with this responsive reading. If you haven't got a bulletin, hopefully you can share with somebody around you. Just inside there. These are words that I've put together. They are entirely from the scripture. And I asked for a printed copy so that you could, anytime you want, just look up the words that are here if you'd like to know where in the scriptures I found them. Okay? I will read the bold print. And would you please, together, out loud, in unison, read the italics. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. The Mighty One, God the Lord, the Mighty One, God the Lord, He knows, and let Israel itself know. Now 
Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. Gracious God, help us, I pray, to lay hold of all that you would give to us in Jesus by the power of your Spirit, through your word, I pray. Amen.